0: Well good evening and welcome to another Bible study. Let me just adjust the sound here. How is that? If you could just give me some feedback on the sound, just want to make sure that it's at the right level. I'll go ahead and open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you just to praise you again, Lord. We're ever so grateful for this great gift that we have to hear your word expounded, to study these ancient scriptures, and to order our lives Mm -hmm. by them. We pray, Father, that you'll bless this study and bless all those who tune in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me just check. The sound is good. Very good. Okay, we're in business. Uh, We are continuing in Isaiah chapter 49, and uh, okay, a little echoey I'm hearing. Let me just see if I can fix that. Hopefully that'll make a bit of a difference. Uh, We are continuing in Isaiah chapter 49. I think what I'll do is just change the microphone. Hopefully that is uh, better. We're continuing in uh, Isaiah chapter 49. We're gonna work through this slowly. Uh, This is really part of the suffering servant uh, songs where Isaiah is explaining how God is going to go about the redemption of his people and he's unveiling the the mysterious servant. Uh, So we'll work through this, uh, but I also want to take some time and and Pastor Murray's gonna join me at the end of the study to answer some questions. And I did get a really profound question this week, where one of our brothers asked, uh, basically said, Adrian, if, if God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, that which is not yet done, um, he asked then, and, and I'm explaining how God has this plan for his people, Israel. His question is, where in the Old Testament prophecies uh, is this group that we call Christians prophesied? So where, where are we? Part of it is, where are we in the plan? A uh, very reasonable question, because I am emphasizing so much God's focus on Israel. But further than just asking the question, where are we in the plan? Uh, this brother wants to understand, where are we in the Old Testament prophecies? Because all of this was declared from the beginning. So I want to address that at the end of the study. And hopefully, if you have questions as we're going through the study, please uh, raise them. We'll, we'll answer them. Uh, if we don't have the answer right here and now, we'll research it and come back. The following week god willing okay so let's uh, let's get into our study then we are working through isaiah chapter 49 and i'll just uh back up a little bit we, we covered some of this ground last week but let me just re- back up a little bit and he says here beginning in verse five and now says the lord that formed me from the womb so so from the womb he was sp- a special purpose uh, says the lord this is christ speaking the messiah Says the Lord that formed me from the womb to be His servant. So this is the suffering servant. This is He came. Uh, Philippians two shows us He emptied Himself of the Godhead, came to Earth, made Himself a servant uh, for a very specific purpose. What was that purpose? To bring again to Him. Th- so yes, yeah, to be His servant to bring Jacob again to Him. So this is the purpose of the suffering servant. It's to gather Jacob. And bring Jacob to the father and then he says this though Israel be not gathered so his purpose is to gather Israel he's saying even though so Israel is very stubborn so even though Israel may not be gathered yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength so he is determined he is going to do exactly what God has asked him to do not certain how Israel will respond but he knows what he's going to do Verse 6, and he said, It is a light thing that you should, sort of is it a light thing, but it is a light thing that you should be my servant. Why? What is the purpose of the servant? To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles, that you may be my salvation, unto the ends of the earth. And and this is where we have to start thinking through critically, what does this mean, a light to the Gentiles? Does this mean that salvation is a free-for-all? And, and everybody now, and this is the way most Christians understand uh, Christianity, is that Christ came, he's done with Israel, and now he's a light to the Gentiles, and, and so it's all about the Gentiles. But is it? And I think the way, as we read through the scriptures, there's really two uh, levels or two dimensions to this Light to the Gentiles. Uh, the first way we should think about it is that Judah has the covenant with God. God did not divorce Judah, but He divorced the northern tribes, and they have become Gentiles. They are no longer under the covenant. So they're Gentiles, they're the lost tribes, and so the way God is going to gather them is by gathering the Gentiles, by opening the door to the Gentiles. God at the same time can gather the lost tribes. Also, there are gentiles, other nations that are not part of the covenant, and he has indeed opened the door to these gentiles in, in this first fruits calling. But other gentiles will come to salvation through the glory given to Israel, and we'll see this. So it's give a light to the gentiles, and here if we go back to Isaiah, um, so we said here in 49, he says, To be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the per- preserved of Israel, I'll also give you a light to the Gentiles, that you may be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So to be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Let's explore this. In Isaiah 41, verse eight, he says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. So, so there's the servant, Christ, the faithful Israelite, but there's also the servant, Jacob. And Isaiah goes back and forth. Sometimes when he speaks about the servant, he's speaking about uh, Israel as a nation being his chosen, the elect. But other times he's speaking specifically of the suffering servant. That is the perfect Israelite, the one who came to live faithfully by the terms and conditions of the covenant. But he says here in verse 41, chapter 41, verse 8, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. God hasn't chosen anybody else. He's chosen Jacob, the seed of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. So Jacob has been scattered to the ends of the earth. So when he's now a light to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, again, this is how we have to think about it, that this is this mystery and how God is gathering Israel, the lost tribes, from the ends of the earth. And that has always been his purpose that he would scatter Israel because of their disobedience to the very ends of the earth. But because they are his elect, he would also gather them from the ends of the earth. So he says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from the chief men thereof and said unto you, You are my servant. You, Israel, you, Jacob, nobody else. You are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not cast you away. It's going to appear like he has cast them away. And this is why Matthew 24, Jesus Christ, opens this discourse about the end time, and specifically what's going to happen to Judah, and specifically Jerusalem, with, do not be deceived. It is going to appear as if I have cast away Jerusalem, as if I have cast away Judea, but do not be deceived. And when the people of the desert start telling you that I have returned to the desert, and I'm in the secret chambers in the desert, don't go after them. Because when I return, I am returning to save Jerusalem and to save the cities of Judah. I haven't cast you away. Here in 41.10 he continues, Fear you not. And this is our message to Israel. Don't be afraid. Your God reigns. Fear you not, for I am with you. So do not be deceived. God is with Israel. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, Zechariah 12. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And then if we just go to chapter 42, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. So this is speaking of the suffering servant. And he's going to be a light to the Gentiles and a covenant for the people, the people being Israel. So here's going to be a covenant of the people, but he's also going to be a light of the Gentiles. And he says, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So that clearly is Israel. So we have to be um, kind of flexible in our understanding of this term Gentiles. Sometimes as we read through the context, it's clear that God is using this door that's open to the Gentiles to gather Israel. Other times when we're reading in context it's clear that the Gentiles are the other nations separate and apart from Israel. Here in Luke when he speaks uh, of this light to the Gentiles, um, we we read in Luke chapter 2 that there was this holy man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and the same man was just and devout. So he was fully Uh, immersed in the Hebrew text and in the scriptures and the prophets. Very devout, constantly studying, understood Isaiah, understood Jeremiah, understood Zechariah, understood Malachi, understood the Torah. He was really devout. What was he waiting for? For for Christ just to come with this free-for-all salvation? No, he was waiting for the comfort of Israel. That he understood that Israel, and, and the scripture says the wise will understand, So he understood that Israel would be uh, taken captive, would be subjugated, but he also understood that they would be the head nation. And there was a coming, coming a time when the kingdom would be restored to Israel and Israel's prime role of primacy on the earth would be established. And so this is what he was waiting for. He was looking for the Messiah because he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was not deluded. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and this is what he was looking for. And then he says in verse 32 that this Messiah, when he comes, would be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So again, he's quoting Isaiah, and he was comforted by the prophecies in Isaiah and understood very clearly that Christ was coming to, to be the glory of Israel and then also to be a light. To the Gentiles, <clears throat> So he says here, uh, so let's now see, uh, so, so let's also see this other way that he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. So there's this immediate context that we are living now uh, as Gentiles who, you know, most of us are not Jewish and the covenant remained in Judah. Uh, but we are in the covenant now. And so we as Gentiles have come in. And we are now doing the work of christ
1: but there's another way
0: that he's going to fulfill this prophecy of being a light to the gentiles and it is is for us again to understand this order of operations and the primacy of israel so let's see now how this other way that christ will be a light to the gentiles in isaiah when we'll get into chapter 60 later we'll spend more time here but i just want to pick up a few verses and we'll just go through it quickly Isaiah 60, verse 2, he says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. This is Isaiah, he's telling us, darkness is going to cover the earth. And gross darkness the people. But, there's going to be a different situation, the Lord shall arise upon you, Israel. So the world will be covered in darkness, but the Lord will arise upon Israel. And his glory shall be seen upon you. He says, and the Gentiles shall come to your light. So this is a light to the Gentiles. By glorifying himself in Israel, he becomes a light to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles will come to the light of Israel. And, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So these people are going to be severely punished. They're going to be, it's going to look like they're completely forsaken of God. But then he's going to come and bring light to them. And they will be glorified and the gentiles will come to israel because of the light in israel verse 5 then you shall see and flow together and your heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you so all the wealth that's in the sea is going to be brought to israel the the wealth of the gentiles shall come to you so they're going to see the light is in israel they're going to come to israel with their offerings, with their, with their uh, recognition of what a holy people Israel is. And this is when the earth will be righteous, when Israel is recognized. Verse 9, Surely the isles, the coastlands, shall wait for me, and the sh- ships of Tarshish first, to bring your sons from far. So they've been scattered, and now they're being brought back to the promised land their silver and their gold with them. So they're going to bring the sons of Israel. They're going to be servants bringing the sons of Israel, acknowledging that these are the people of God, and they'll be bringing silver and gold with them. Unto the name of the Lord, your God. There's a big controversy in the end time as to whose God is God. And God is going to solve the controversy by, by showing that it is the God of Jerusalem. It is the God of Israel that say unto the cities of Judah, your God, your God reigns, your God is the true God, and the word of your God is truth. Unto the name of the Lord your God, and to the Holy One of Israel. The suffering servant is the Holy One of Israel. Israel is a disaster, but the suffering servant comes to fulfill all the requirements of the covenant, and he is the Holy One of Israel, and the true representative of Israel. And the one who fulfills all the conditions so that Israel may be glorified. Because he has glorified you. So by glorifying Israel, light is then available to the Gentiles. And the sons of strangers shall build up your walls. So, oh, walls are immoral. Walls are immoral. God wants walls. And the strangers, their sons, are going to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And their king shall serve you. For in my wrath I smote you, I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. And this is the pattern, this is the theme, this is the theme of the Bible. That God has covenanted with a people, they have disobeyed him. As a result of that disobedience and according to his faithfulness to his word, he will then severely punish these people. But also because of his his faithfulness to his word, he will not choose another people. His name is on these people, and he will not give his glory to another. And so he's going to work out a system, work out a way, a mechanism, that even though these people deserve to be destroyed, they can in fact be redeemed. And that mechanism is the suffering servant. He says, therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men, or Gentiles, may bring unto you their wealth. That men may bring unto you the wealth of the Gentiles. So the gates will be open. So that every all the Gentile nations can come and worship with this kingdom of priests. They'll bring the wealth of the Gentiles that their kings and that their kings may be brought. For the, This is God speaking. This is the God of Zion. There's controversy. Whose God is God? Here's what the God of the Bible says. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. These are Gentile nations. And if they do not acknowledge that God is glorified in Israel, God is going to wipe them out. They don't belong on the earth. This is, how much God is, this is how serious God is about establishing his people, Israel, on the earth. The nation, and we read this in Zechariah 14, every feast. The nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Yes, those nations shall be utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed if they do not serve Israel. The sons of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. So these these uh, children uh, of the uh, oppressor that, that believe that these people have to be destroyed, he says, the sons of them that afflicted you shall come bending unto you. And all they that despised you, they hated you, they shall bow themselves down at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And this is why, you know, um, in Revelation 2, he speaks of the Ephesian church, uh, the church at Ephesus, as, as laboring for his namesake, and, and they haven't fainted. And in Matthew 24, he says that, you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. There is going to be a massive controversy around whether or not the God of Israel is God. And there's going to be a faithful people that just tell it like it is. That there is no God except the God of Israel. And that He has chosen a people. And that the land belongs to these people. And do your worst, you will be destroyed if you go up against the God of Israel. And do your worst, these people that he has chosen will be established in the land. Even if you kill them, Ezekiel 37 shows that God is going to resurrect them all and put them back in the land. This, this is the controversy of the name Israel in the end time. But they will be called the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 15, whereas you have been forsaken and hated, So that no man went through you. And again, this is why Matthew 24, Christ opens with, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived about my coming. When I come, I'm coming to glorify Israel. So don't be deceived. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through you, I will make you an eternal excellency. In Luke chapter 1, we're told that God will be the God of Jacob for how long? Forever. God will be the God of Jacob forever, which means there must be a Jacob that exists. There must be an eternal Jacob. And so here he says he's going to make Jacob an eternal excellency forever, a joy of many generations. You shall also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shall suck the breast of kings. So all this wealth from the Gentiles is just going to be constantly coming to God's people. And you shall know that I, the Lord, Am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. This is what salvation is all about. This is God's plan of salvation, and this is the gospel. This is the good news, and we have to understand how it is we preach this good news, while at the same time understanding that there is a first-fruits calling, where God is, is um, at, at an out, in an out-of-season way, <clears throat> recruiting soldiers into his army to help him pull this off. But this is his mission. This is why he came to earth. And, and we, have, we, we have to get the story straight. So, yes, it's, it's kind of a struggle. Like we're trying to, we're seeing very clearly what the prophecy is saying. But at the same time, we can't help but wonder well, where do we fit in all of this? And so we have to explore that. But we cannot uh, circumvent reading the plain text simply because we demand to understand where we are. Let's just understand the text and and it will come clear once we understand the narrative where we fit. But let's just, I said to somebody the other day, uh, I think a blessing for me is being able to just sit down and read the scripture uh, as if I never existed. Because there was nothing that said I had to be born. So if I was, if I never existed, what is this all about? What is God doing? And so let me just read the text in a very uh, objective way, without having to be the center of the universe. What if this is not about me? And so I can read it, understand it, and then when I see the whole narrative and understand the whole story, then I ask the question, okay, where do do I fit? Where do we fit? And I think that's how we have to approach this. So he is the salvation and redemption is about Jacob. It's about Israel. He's the mighty one of Jacob. Back to Isaiah 49. He says they shall not hunger nor thirst neither shall the heat nor sun smite them for he has mercy on them and shall lead them even by the springs of water so again this this theme of water that they're going to be in the desert and they're going to be uh um, you know just desperate in a desperate situation and then god is going to act in such a miraculous way that he's going to feed them he's going to nourish them he's going to provide water for them as they make their way back into the promised land for he has mercy on them he that has mercy on them shall lead them even by the springs of water shall he guide them so there's a way that he's going to take them by the springs of water and i will make all my mountains away uh, all my mountains away and my highways shall be exalted so he's going to lay down highways that there will be a path for his people to be able to come to the promised land And and he said this earlier in Isaiah 11. And again, we're going to go to the earlier chapters down the road. But just looking back at Isaiah 11, verse 16, he says that there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left. So there's going to be a lot of slaughter, but there will be a remnant. The devil is trying to eliminate all of God's people, but there will be a remnant. God is going to ensure that. That's why he says in Matthew 24 that except those days should be shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. Well, the flesh that he's talking about is the Jacob flesh, the Israelite flesh. That's Satan's target to completely wipe out Israel so that God cannot fulfill his promises. And God is not going to allow that. So just when it looks like this time of Jacob's trouble is going to wipe out all of Jacob, that's when God says, no, stop, enough. And there will be a remnant that is saved. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria. So this is telling us Assyria in the end time, this is, this is the power. This is the beast power that is going to be uh, just doing its will uh, on God's people. But it also tells us that Assyria is going to be brought down at the end. But it also tells us that Babylon is going to be brought down at the end. At the, in the original fulfillment of these scriptures, Assyria was targeted to Israel. Then 150 years later, uh, Babylon was targeting Judah. But as we read Isaiah, the way he writes, that there's an immediate fulfillment, but he also writes in a pattern that it's clear that there's an end-time fulfillment. And so both Assyria and Babylon fall at the end time when Christ returns. And so we see from Daniel's prophecy that the city of Babylon becomes the central focus because that's, that, that's Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, that he represents the city of Babylon. And so all of these empires that follow him are really uh, represented or identified by the fact that they govern the city of Babylon. And so we can see at the end time here that Assyria will have control over the city of Babylon. And it is this this city of Babylon that represents the wickedness in, in, in the world, and it is the, the competition to Jerusalem. And so that city will be completely destroyed, but it will be operating under the auspices of Assyria. And so this end, times, this end time exodus, or the second exodus, the first exodus was coming out of Egypt, the second one will be coming out of Assyria. So there will be this highway for the exodus, for the remnants of the people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. So it's going to be like this, except it's going to be on a far grander scale, so much so that we will not talk about the exodus out of Egypt again. That, that this, the, it, it'll, this, this second exodus is going to dwarf the first exodus. But the, the, the first exodus was out of Egypt. The second exodus will primarily be from Assyria and Assyria will have control over the whole world and will scatter God's people throughout the earth and so God will be gathering the people from all over the earth. But it is this this enemy nation of Assyria that is, that is uh, to be defeated. Back to Isaiah 49. Behold, these shall come from far. So, so these, the, 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 these redeemed people, this redeemed remnant, it, it, they're going to be brought back to the promised land, but they shall come from far. And lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Not sure exactly where the land of Sinem is, but it's, it's south, and it's clear that God is talking here about the lost tribes of Israel, because Judah is going to be collected in the land that we call Israel today, and, and nations, these nations are going to come and, and destroy them, but a remnant will be saved. But the lost tribes of Israel will be all over. And, and in fact, Judah will be spread out too, because they'll be taken captive. But primarily, the lost tribes of Israel are all over. And it says, these shall come from far. You could really say, these shall come from the east. They'll come from the north. They'll come from the west. They'll come from the south. They'll come from the four corners of the earth, according to the prophecy. And here, if we look up in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12, he says, And he shall set up a, a flag, a standard, for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together. We have to. Anytime we see that, we have to zero in on that. His purpose is to gather together Israel. He will, he will assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah. This is his work. It is mentioned over and over and over again. Repeatedly, Isaiah talks about this, and not just Isaiah, all the prophets. So if we are going to prophesy on behalf of God, we can't miss this. It's everywhere. So we have to make sure we are preaching accurately and and teaching and prophesying accurately that he's going to assemble Israel. He's going to gather Judah from the four corners of the earth. So, so, Judah is going to be subjugated, they're going to be sold into slavery, they're going to be spread out because of that, that slavery. Israel is lost, they don't even know who they are, and, and so they're all over, and God is going to the four corners of the earth, and he's gathering them, and he's putting them back in the land, because that's what he promised Abraham. And we see this, this is now gives us understanding when we read Matthew 24. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. The north wind, the south wind, the east wind, the west wind. This, this, is, this is what Christ is saying. He, the New Testament is, is not just some brand new book that has nothing, no roots. It's rooted in the Old Testament. And the elect are his people. And the devil is trying to destroy these people so that God will have broken his promise, but God... Although he's using the devil and the devil's people, the devil's instruments to punish his people, he is not going to completely destroy his people. So there is going to be this remnant and he's then going to gather them and put them in the land, from one end of heaven to the other. And that's what he means for the ends of the earth. So so when we see the ends of the earth and he's gathering Gentiles, uh, many times this is just what he's actually doing is gathering the lost tribes of Israel. And then in in Mark says in Mark he says the same thing. Then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect, that is Israel, from the four winds, from the uttermost parts of the earth, to the uttermost parts of heaven. This is according to the prophecies. We just read them in Isaiah. They're in Jeremiah. We're going to read a bit of Jeremiah later. Uh, It's all over, but it's rooted in the Torah. And we've, we've read this several times, but let's read it again. What did Moses say? Because Moses saw this from the very early uh, establishment of, of, of the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 1. And this, All the prophets are really just repeating what was shown to Moses. Moses writes, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse. So Moses could see, okay, you're going to go into the promised land, you're going to have this blessing, but you know what? You're going to be unfaithful. And and God is going to be faithful. So because God is faithful, he's going to bring the blessing upon you. Because if you do this, that's what he promised. But because God is faithful, when you disobey him, he's going to bring the curse upon you. Because he's a faithful God. He says, when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, And you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. So Moses could see very early on, because of the terms and conditions of the covenant, these people are going to be scattered all over the earth. And so he says, you're going to call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And you shall return unto the Lord your God. So Moses could see that even though the people were unfaithful, and they had to be punished because of their unfaithfulness, that God would not completely destroy them. That God would not forget them. That God would have a way of turning their hearts back to him. And that's what Moses writes. And you shall return unto the Lord your God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. So they're going to come back, and everything that's in Deuteronomy, they're going to do that you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. So Moses is looking into the future, and God has shown him that these people, his people Israel, are going to be converted. And they are truly going to have a a spiritual conversion where they will love God, not in a hypocritical way, but truthfully, fully, and with all their soul, that then... The Lord your God will end your captivity. So so he sees you're going to be taken captive, but then God is going to end your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return, and notice this, and gather you from all the nations. This is what God is going to do. Moses, it's in the Torah that the people are going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth, and then God is going to gather them from the four corners of the earth where the Lord your God has scattered you. Let's take a break from, from, um, from Isaiah for a bit, and let's read Jeremiah. And I don't have time to read, uh, really uh, just a bit of homework if you wanted to. Just sit down and read Jeremiah chapters 30, 31, 32, and 33. And, and 31 is where we come into contact with the prophecy about the new covenant. And, and most Christians were new covenant Christians. But if we read it in context, it's not really talking about New Covenant Christians. Uh, and so I just want to pull out some verses here and then get to that part of the, of the prophecy and let's you know, read it in context. But he says here, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So this is God's word. We ought to take it seriously. God certainly takes His word seriously. This is a God that he exalts his word even above his own name. That's how much he takes his word seriously. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, "Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel." He's the God of Israel, saying, "Write you all the words that I have spoken unto you in a book." So, you know, we have something called oral tradition, where we just say something and we hand it down from one generation to the next, and over time, it can get, it it deviates. And, you know, there's this thing called Chinese whispers. So, you know, by the time, a few generations later, it's not exactly the way it started out. It's a bit of exaggeration. Sometimes it could be the exact opposite. But God tells Jeremiah, write this in a book. And by that, what he means is, I mean what I say, and I don't want it to deviate in any way and I want future generations to know exactly what I've said so that they can see it come to pass. So what we're gonna read now, here thousands of years later, it was God's intention that we should be able to read it thousands of years later because it will be relevant to our day and our time. He says, write it in a book. For lo, the days come, down the road, down the line, thousands of years later. The days come, says the Lord, that I will bring again, or I will end, the captivity of my people Israel and Judah. So write this down, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now certainly, you know, Daniel's going to come along and read this and realize that there is going to be a return to Jerusalem and to Judah. However, the way Jeremiah writes, similar to Isaiah, there's a near-term fulfillment to what he's writing, but it's also abundantly clear that the near-term fulfillment is just laying down a pattern of the ultimate fulfillment at the end of the age. And we'll, we'll, it'll be pretty clear as we read this. So, so there's two fulfillments here. They're going to return to the land, and we, and we read about that in, in uh, uh, I think it's in uh, Zechariah, where he return, they return and they rebuild. But there is this ultimate fulfillment that we are going to be looking at. He says, and these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. So it's not just about Judah. This is also about Israel. So we have to know who are these tribes of Israel? Who, who are the nations today that comprise primarily the Lost Tribes? because it's not just about Judah it's also about Israel and it's written for the end time for thus says the Lord we have heard a voice of trembling so what is this now so he's writing that there's going to be this return to the land but thus says the Lord we have heard a voice of trembling this is a time of terror it's a time of terror of fear and not of peace Ask you now, and see whether a man gives birth to to children, uh, travails, goes into labor. Do, Do men go into labor with a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Something terrible has happened to Judah and to Israel. And this is, this is not only the immediate Babylonian crisis, because uh, Assyria has already taken Israel captive, so this is not only the immediate Babylonian crisis that Jeremiah is talking about, because this is concerning Israel and Judah. So there's an end-time fulfillment of this now. And it's a time of incredible terror. And all faces have turned into paleness. He says, alas... For that day is great. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So we know there's, there's going to be this great tribulation and these powerful nations are going to get into trouble and no one's going to be able to help them. But God, God will save them out of it. He says, for it shall come to pass in that day, that day, with that in that day is a, Uh, code for the end time, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. That is the the, uh, Babylonian, the Assyrians, that yoke on Judah and Israel. I'll break that yoke from off their neck and will burst the bonds. And strangers, non-Israelites, shall no more serve themselves of him. But Israel and Judah shall serve the Lord their God and david their king whom i will raise up unto them and this alone is all the evidence we need that jeremiah is not just writing about the immediate future for judah but he's writing about the long term future for israel and judah because david will be resurrected and david will be king over them and that's when we that's when we know this is the true fulfillment So there is going to be this great tribulation immediately before the resurrection of David. Therefore, do not fear. So the same thing that Isaiah says, comfort my people and tell them not to fear. Jeremiah is saying the same thing. Don't fear, O my servant Jacob. So again, sometimes the servant is Christ. It's singular. Sometimes the servant is the nation. Because they're chosen. And so Jacob is God's servant and God is telling his servant, don't be afraid. You deserved all of this, but I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. Therefore fear you not, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save you from afar and from the land of and your seed from the land of their captivity. Again, he's going to go to the four corners of the earth and he's going to save Jacob. I'll save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity and Jacob shall return. Moses saw it, Isaiah saw it, Jeremiah sees it, Zechariah saw it. All the prophets see this same pattern where the covenant has to be fulfilled. Israel and Judah have to be punished according to the covenant but then the covenant with Abraham cannot be broken. So Israel and Judah must be redeemed. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid." We've gone from a time of complete terror, to a time of complete calm and confidence. He says, For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you. So it is God who is scattering his people among these nations. So these Gentile nations are going to get the upper hand in the end time. And we who are living in Israelite nations, who have enjoyed, uh, I'll just call it supremacy, supremacy of productivity and innovation and and work ethic and and, and integrity, that that the whole system in the West has been built upon fundamentally Judeo-Christian principles. And we have outstripped every other nation. They've been at this for thousands of years, certainly hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, Canada, 150 years. America, 240 odd years. Uh, You know, these are powerful nations because they're built upon a Judeo-Christian ethic. And yet we're going to watch as they collapse. And the Gentile nations are going to now have their time. And, And all these Israelites are going to be scattered and taken slaves into all these nations. And he says, Though I make a full end of all nations, God is going to be furious with them, where I have scattered you. Yet, I will not make a full end of you. Why? Because Jacob is his servant, his chosen. But I will correct you in measure, and I will not leave you altogether unpunished. He can't. He can't. This is why when Christ came, and he was preaching, and gathering his disciples, When the rest of the Jews came to hear him preach, he switched and started preaching in parables. And his disciples were shocked. And they said, why are you preaching to the rest of the Jews, our brothers and sisters, in parables? And God says, well, I've set you aside and you're going to be allowed to understand, but they're not allowed to understand because I have to fulfill the terms and conditions of the covenant. And when they come to that place of true repentance Then I will gather them and and turn to them and comfort them. But they have to come out of this place of hypocrisy and arrogance. And they have to be softened. And they have to come to this place of true repentance. But I've gathered you as my disciples, as this first fruit harvest, and we'll talk about this a bit uh, bit later, to help me in this process of restoration and redemption. He says, but I will correct you in measure and will not leave you altogether unpunished. All your lovers or your allies, all these uh, alliances that Israel and Judah have made with other nations, unreliable, unreliable. All your lovers have forgotten you. This is a time of terror. And this is a time, uh, who was it? Uh, Osama bin Laden said that the human nature, people want to back the winning horse. They don't really care about morality. They just care about who's winning. And they'll throw their support behind the winning horse. So when God raises up these Gentile nations, Everyone's just going to go with them and abandon uh, those whom they claim to be allies. All your lovers have forgotten you. They seek you not, for I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy. So this is something that God is doing. And just um, uh, listen to this. This is a, uh, a woman who's speaking about her community's plans for America, the superpower America. Abraham Lincoln said uh, of America, if we are to be destroyed, it'll be from within. We are too powerful a nation for someone outside of the the nation to destroy us. But go ahead and, and listen to this.
2: Is to create our own Islamic systems and not only create Islamic systems for Muslims, but to look at all the other people who are sharing this country with us as potential Muslims. And if we look at them as potential Muslims and feel that we have the obligation which Allah has told us to try to bring them into the same style of thinking, into the same uh, way of behaving, into the same objectives that we have, then we have to have some way that we can communicate with them and some way we can work with them. And in that long-range process of making America Muslim, all of America Muslim, then we have to have some actual short-range goals. We have to have some way of dealing with them and know how we're going to deal with them and in which ways, and be very calculated about it, or else we will not
0: accomplish So, uh, there you have it. Uh, these people are, are visionary, and they're clear, and they're, they, 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 they're not deviating. They have, they have a path that they're following, which is 1,400 years old, and they've never deviated from it. Meanwhile, the, the people of Jacob are just confused. And they don't know which way is up. And when you bring two people together, it doesn't matter who's more powerful than who in the moment. But when you bring two forces together, and one is wishy-washy and doesn't know which way is up, and the other may be small, but is focused and determined and visionary and strategic and patient, over time, which one do you think is going to win? It should be really obvious to us. And, so, <laughs> and when America falls, the rest of the West falls. That, that people just hate America, uh, and they don't know what's coming once America collapses. But he goes on to say that God has wounded Israel with the wound of an enemy. In other words, God is behind this. God is the one who's raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, to come and punish his people. And that's what we have to understand is happening. That it's kind of, it's ridiculous to see the wealth and the power of the West being just handed over by, by, by people who are running these countries who are really children. They have no idea what they're doing and they just resist common sense. And yet it's this spirit of uh, stupor, this, this nonsensical spirit, that this lying spirit that's in the earth that God is allowing. And so because of this, he's using this genocidal hatred that these nations have for Jews and for Christians and for the West to take down the West. But God is allowing it, he's wounded them with the wound of an enemy, he says, I've wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one. There's someone who's gonna come who's really cruel, but God is allowing it according to the covenant. This is the punishment that his people deserve. Well, he says this. He says it here with the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitude of your iniquity you have brought this upon yourself we the western christian judeo-christian nations we brought this upon ourselves because your sins were increased and just turn on the television uh, go on the internet turn on the radio uh, go anywhere uh, just look around on advertising and and clearly and from year to year do this our sins are increased The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he has done it. So God has to do what he said he would do. He has to carry out the covenant. So this fierce anger, he's using these nations to carry out his fierce anger. And he will not stop until he's done it. And until he has performed the intents of his heart, in the latter days you shall consider it. So write, Jeremiah, write it in a book so that in our time, we will read the book and say, oh, that's what's going on. When everyone's confused and no one, no one has any idea, everyone's like, oh, what a crazy world. And you speak to people who are maybe in their 80s and say, I've never seen anything like this. Even young people in their, in their teens are like disillusioned. They think the world is crazy, but nobody actually knows what's going on. The only way we can know what's going on is to open the text, the ancient text, the ancient words, the ancient scrolls, and read them, because they were preserved by the God who predicts the future, so that his people would understand. And so we'll consider it in our time, in the latter days. Jeremiah 31. At the same time in the latter days, the same time that he's doing this, he's going to um, raise up these people, and he's going to to punish his people, and then he's going to punish them. He says, at the same time, says the local Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel. So this is God's design. <clears throat> that in the end time, he has not forgotten Israel. And to come up with a kind of a version of Christianity, who the founder is Christ, and so to take Christ's teachings and use his teachings to say, that God has forgotten Israel and he's given his glory to the church instead, the Gentile church, this is a horrendous teaching. To claim to speak for Christ and to say the opposite of his purpose. His purpose is to be the God of Judah and the God of Israel. His purpose is to gather, right, says it right here, all the families of Israel. Even though they may not know who they are, God knows who they are. And he has an outstanding promise to Abraham, and he's going to fulfill it. And so in the end time, in the latter days, is when he's going to be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And he wants this written in a book so that it is never forgotten, that he's, he's committed himself to carrying this out. That's why he wants it written in a book. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The love God has for Jacob is eternal. It's a covenant love. He's, he's, in, he's in this covenant bond with Jacob. It's eternal. So he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, because of my eternal love for you, therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. So he's going to gather his people with loving kindness. Verse 9. They shall come with weeping. So, so God is saying that when he gathers them, and, and Moses wrote this in Deuteronomy 30, that they're going to have a, a real um uh say crisis that's going to lead them to true conversion they shall come but they're going to come with weeping and with su- all the families of israel not just judah <clears throat> they shall come with weeping and with supplications will i lead them i will cause them to walk by the rivers of water so same thing that we saw earlier that god He's going to provide a highway for them, but he's also going to provide nourishment and make sure that they have everything they need as they make their way. So they're going to come with with weeping and with supplications, and God will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel. This is what God is saying. I'm a father to Israel. And Ephraim, uh, a symbol for Israel, is my firstborn. God has not forgotten his firstborn. He's saying, I, I I'm gonna do this because I'm Israel's father, and Israel is my firstborn. Verse 27. Now, let's read this together now. So we've all this context that's been leading up to this, the new covenant. Let's read it together. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. What he's saying here is. He's going to magnify Israel. He's going to magnify Judah as well as man and beast. It's going to be a power. It's going to be a wonderful kingdom. Uh, The same way when they were in uh, Egypt, how they just kept multiplying. So he's saying he's going to multiply Israel and Judah. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them. So notice this is God's words. He has watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, and to destroy, and to afflict this is God's doing. And what we're seeing in the world today, that's a, it's a, it's just strange. It's hard to understand unless you understand this, that God is doing this. And he's setting up these Gentile powers in order to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, and to destroy, and to afflict his people. And that's because of the covenant. So he's watching over them to do this. He says in the same way that, he, that he's doing that, he will also watch over them to build and to plant Says the Lord. This is God's word. He says to Jeremiah, Write it in a book so that it'll be considered in the latter time. He says, verse 31, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is what he's doing. So, in the context of all of this, in the latter time, just as Moses wrote that they're going to be scattered to all these nations. And then there's going to be a second exodus where they're going to be gathered and brought back into the land. This is what this is. This is speaking specifically of the family, of all the families of Israel. That in that these days are going to come, that God will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And this is really where the question that the brother asked this week to say he knows that this scripture is not speaking of, of, of first fruits. This is, not Christ, this is not the Christian church. This is the latter time when God finally acts to put down all of the oppressors once and for all, and then he gathers the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He, he says he understands this very clearly. So then he's saying, well, where are the prophecies regarding the church? And so we'll come back to that question in a bit. He says that he's going to gather them, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they broke. And that's what Moses said. You're going into the land, but you're going to break the covenant. And so Moses could see or foresee that there would be a new covenant which would involve the Holy Spirit, which would enable these people to love God with all their heart. He says, which covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with who? with the house of Israel, with all the families of Israel. After those days, this is when the covenant will be made. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And so what will be the consequence of God doing this with Israel and with Judah? He says it right here. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So we know that this has not been fulfilled. Because when it's fulfilled, it will be fulfilled in Israel and in Judah. And there won't be anybody in Israel and Judah that would say to another Israelite, Oh, you know, you should know the Lord. You should repent. And you should know the Lord. Because they will be a kingdom of priests, according to Exodus 19. And so they will all know him because they will be there teaching God to the Gentiles. So when this new covenant is enacted, they will no more teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And we cannot say that this has been fulfilled because it's after those days that God is going to do that with this nation. And everybody in the nation, from the least to the greatest, will know him. And there will be no need to say to somebody, you should know the Lord. And at this time, all of their iniquity will be forgiven. Thus says the Lord, which gives the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and of the stars by night, which divides the sea when the waves are roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. So if we, get, if we can get rid of the sun and the moon, I know in Revelation it says that there is no need for sun or moon, but that's speaking specifically of the city of Jerusalem. It's not speaking of the earth. The earth will still have the sun and moon. And so God says if you can get rid of the sun and moon, then you can get rid of Israel being a nation. But if you can't get rid of my sun and moon, then you cannot get rid of the fact that the seed of Israel will be a nation. It'll be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, before me forever. So this replacement theology makes no sense when we actually read the text. He says, behold, I will gather them out of all countries, where I have driven them in my anger. Exactly what Moses told us, exactly what Isaiah tells us. I will gather them uh, from all the countries where I've driven them in my anger and in my fury and in my great wrath and I will bring them again unto this place and I will cause them to dwell safely and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way exactly what Moses saw that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them and I will make an everlasting covenant with them it's going to be an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them The same people who have been afflicted, who God is determined to destroy and and to, to tear down. And now these same people he's building back up and he's making a covenant with them. That I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, exactly what Moses saw, that they shall not depart from me. They are his servant. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. This is where in Isaiah 9 he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is something that God is very zealous about. He's going to do it with his, with his whole heart. We had better not dismiss this when it's something that God wants to do with his whole heart. For thus says the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, in the same way will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And I'm going to cleanse them from their iniquity because they've sinned against me. I'm going to pardon their iniquities where they've transgressed, I'm going to perform the good thing that I've promised to Israel and Judah. And if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, if you can break that, that there should be no day or night in their season, then you can. Then my covenant with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. We, we forget that. It's not just the covenant with David, but the Levites are going to serve God as well. So when David comes up, Levites are going to be in place, and if you can break the covenant with the sun and moon, then you can break this covenant. Now, let me just talk a little bit about our role in all of this, and then we'll have a bit of time for Q and A. I want to go to Romans eleven, where Paul says, "I say then, has God cast away His people?" And reading through all these passages, it's obvious to us He hasn't. But Paul answers, "God forbid, that He would do such a thing. God would be a liar if He did that. God forbid." For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 8. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber. This is what was written in Isaiah. That he hasn't cast them away, but he's given them the spirit of slumber. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? That they should be destroyed? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So they have been blinded, they've been made deaf, and through them, through them uh, stumbling like this, a door has opened to the Gentiles. Now what we said earlier, part of God's mystery is by opening the doors to the Gentiles, he's able to gather the lost tribes and bring them into covenant, bring them back into covenant with him. But there's also this door genuinely open to the Gentiles to, come, to be grafted into Israel to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, this has been a tremendous opportunity for all of us because of their fall. So Paul asks, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So Paul sees a fullness. Paul understood the scriptures. That, yeah, they're they're blind for a while, but God is going to turn to them and establish them. And when he does that, if their fall is such a blessing, what will their fullness be? And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted among them, and with them partake of the root and fatness of the olive, olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, you bear not the root, but the root bears you. So we don't bear Judah. Judah bears us. The, the root is Judah and Israel. And they bear the Gentiles, not the Gentiles, but the Christian church behaves as if they bear Israel. You will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Be careful now. Because they didn't believe the word of God, that's why they were broken off. And you stand by faith. You had better believe the word of God. And don't be like them, because you'll be broken off. Do not be high-minded. Don't become arrogant. But fear. Fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not you. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell, severity, he's going to punish them. They're blinded because they have to be punished. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. So don't don't get arrogant here. Don't think that God has uh, replaced Israel and forgotten Israel. Uh, Let's understand the plan of God. Otherwise, you also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. So Paul sees it very clearly, that these people, when God turns them, they're going to be grafted back in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall those which be the natural branches be graft into their own olive tree for i would not brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery so this is a mystery but we need to know it lest you be wise in your own conceits this is the mystery that blindness in part in part not whole is happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles come in so god has a account of gentiles that he's bringing in and until that count comes in, this blindness will remain in Israel. But he also says, in, uh, through Isaiah, that until the cities are laid waste, this blindness will be on Israel. So two things are happening here. Israel is being punished, and grace is being offered to the Gentiles. And when these two things are complete, then the, the blindness will be lifted from Israel. And so we can't be wise in our own conceits because Solomon says, if you see a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. So we can't be high-minded, but fear and understand that God is doing something with Israel. And let's not get arrogant and make this all about us. Back to Romans 11, he says, and so all Israel shall be saved. This is God's plan to save all Israel. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel they are enemies for your sakes but as touching election they are beloved for the father's sake is this eternal covenant love that he has for them for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance and so we saw this earlier in Isaiah 6 that this is the prophecy that they're fulfilling tell this people that they're not to understand, their heart is going to be fat, eyes blind, deaf. How long? Until the cities are wasted. He's going to fulfill his covenant. The land will be utterly desolate. Then the blindness will be lifted. Okay. Last passages I just want to cover here is to deal with the question specifically, where are Christians prophesied in the Old Testament? Let's read this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... If we are in Christ he is a new creature Old things are passed away behold all things are become new and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ so we've been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation this ministry of reconciliation is Jesus Christ's ministry but Christ's ministry has been given to us to wit or likewise that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So this is the ministry of Christ reconciliation and that's what God was doing. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So what Paul is saying here is we are in Christ. So when we look at the plan of God and the ancient prophecies, those prophecies that pertain to the suffering servant, when we look at that ministry, that ministry is extended through the church and the church is hid in Christ. And so, and I will just become a bit clear as we read this on, I read on here. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We we represent Christ. We are in Christ. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. As though God did beseech you by us. So Christ is now in heaven, but his ministry continues on earth. And we are the body of Christ. So we are now doing this, doing his ministry and beseeching you by us. We, pr- we pray you instead of Christ. We're in the place of Christ. So this is showing us how we fit in the Old Testament prophecies. That those prophecies that prophesy... Of the suffering servant, now we understand that those who desire to live godly in Christ shall suffer, because we are an extension of Christ. So you be reconciled to God, because we are representing him in doing his ministry. He says, chapter 6 verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, beg you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So we are working with him, we are embedded in him, we're his body, for he says, I have heard you in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation, I've helped you, speaking to Christ. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And We know that we read this earlier in um, Isaiah 49, where we are now, that this is so He, Christ would be a covenant for the people and to establish the earth and to cause to Israel to inherit the desolate places. But finally here, so I just want to make that point that we are in Christ. And we are hidden Christ. And that will become really clear now in Ephesians 3, where he says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles, listen to this, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So this thing that's happening among Christians, it's unsearchable. You can search the Old Testament backwards and forwards, you won't find it, because this richness is unsearchable. It's just something that's given to Paul to understand, given to the church to understand, and so this understanding is in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament, it's unsearchable. He says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. It's a mystery, the church is a mystery. And so you can search backwards and forwards through the Old Testament. It's a mystery. It's unsearchable. To see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. So yes, God is the one who declares the end from the beginning. But he also tells us that there's something that's a mystery, and it's hidden in God, and it was hidden in him from the beginning of the world, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So it's not by the Old Testament, reading the Old Testament, that you're going to understand this. This is made known by the church through this whole what is happening now and what is in the text of the New Testament according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is something that was uh, purposed in in Christ Jesus from the very beginning, and uh, and it's from the very beginning of of the earth, uh, from from the the time of creation, but uh, it's not something that he disclosed. It's something that he made he made it a mystery, and so that's something that we we do have to uh, understand. So with that, I'm going to pause there. We just have a little bit of time. Uh, hopefully that that that's becoming clear, but we we have a lot of time. We're going to be going through. Um, we're going to be going through Isaiah and there's going to be a lot of time for us to spend and unpack this. So it's a lot, it's a bit of a shift but uh, it, it's everywhere in the scripture. So it's going to be in front of us all the time and we're going to work through it together. So at this time I'm just going to wait for uh, Pastor Murray to uh, join me here on um, on uh, Slack here. and I see him joining. Let's see if we can make this work. And I can't believe this, we're not making this work. Let's see. <clears throat> Still waiting for connection. Okay. So, for some reason, it's not connecting. So, we're we'll just going uh, to do this over the phone. <clears throat> but if you have a questions, go ahead and post them on Facebook or in uh, the chat, cgi.churchonline.org. And uh, we'll go ahead and answer those questions for you. <clears throat> Hi there, Brother Murray. Yes, how are you? Good, good. How about you? Good, how you? Good, good. So, sorry I couldn't, uh, for some reason it's still not connecting to get you... Uh, it's a bit, the, the technology is great when it works, but uh, it doesn't always work. So um, thoughts or comments on uh, tonight's study? Yeah, I
1: think, um, I think it's been great that uh, some of the brethren are now, as, as we're getting through, I think this is study 13 or 14, uh, that question is starting mm-hmm. to percolate. Mm-hmm. Um Not just through on the study, but. Uh... During the week, when brethren reach out to us, uh, and I think it's it's been um, intriguing to hear the questions that that folks have had, and that's really helped uh, helped us and helped you specifically work through work through uh, re-explaining things. And it's been it's been interesting. Uh, a few things that I picked up today that will help the brethren. Uh, you know, this it's this isn't something Isaiah came up with. This is something that started back in the Torah. And as you said, it was repeated in the prophets and then confirmed by Christ and reconfirmed and reaffirmed by the apostles. Exactly. Um, um, So, uh, and I think it was pretty helpful. Uh, You and I had that conversation on the weekend about uh, not thinking of ourselves first, but removing ourselves from the equation so that we could understand everything in flow, and then figuring out where we slot in. Exactly. I think uh, that's pretty helpful as well. Very, very good. Very good.
0: Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, God wants us to hunger and thirst for his word and and to really wrestle with this the way uh, Jacob wrestled with God all night because he wanted the blessing. I think we have to demonstrate that Israelite spirit of of struggling and wanting the blessing and not letting go until
1: we get it. It it does also, I completely agree, it does bring to light as well the scripture that talks about that these are the mysteries of the kingdom. Exactly. And I don't think we quite understood that verse until uh, some of these these deeper understandings are becoming evident.
0: And it's becoming really clear to me Murray that the, the Christian Church is a mystery and, and and it's something that was hidden. In fact, we were reading last week in Isaiah that God says, I'm going to do a new thing and I'm not going to tell you until now lest you say, oh I already knew that.
1: Absolutely. And, and it, it actually serves to answer uh, a question that's been on my mind for the last number of weeks, uh, and that is, um, why, why hasn't this been seen before? Um, we've all been in the church for many years. Uh, you described it in our conversations that it was um, there were open ends that you just that uh, you just left open because at that, that time it didn't have an explanation for it. Um, I've been Coming to the, this state this, uh, since I was five years old, certainly nothing I've heard uh, uh, preached, but it does—it does call to mind that they are simply mysteries that, as uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will eventually be revealed. So yeah. I'm hearing, uh, I'm reading here that they can't really hear me. I so see. So maybe, uh, maybe uh, we can just uh, have you continue to comment.
0: Yeah. So maybe just go ahead and talk a bit more. I've just raised the uh, speaker to the microphone. So maybe that will make a difference. But um, yeah, I think part of the blessing here, Murray, is just to take Isaiah and read him line by line. And I think in the past, maybe Isaiah is such a big book that uh, we've just gone in there and taken out quotes and passages that are very inspirational. But we haven't sat down and just read the book line by line. And I think this, this line by line reading has become a real blessing because there are things we just can't skip over. We have to say like, what is the prophet saying? And what, what do you think about that? I think that might be part of why some of this may not have been seen before.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and maybe you could just talk a little bit it, louder. Right? Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, people can say they can hear you now. Okay. and um, in, in light of that as well, uh, it, by reading it line uh, by line, it, it will help explain and help us interpret are these early fulfillments or these later fulfillments? Uh, because the uh, prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, go back and forth and, and cover so such a wide variety of fulfillments and timeframes, um, you can't simply pick out a verse and figure out where that is without understanding the context. Yeah, it's just. It, a, sound, it sounds like, um, it sounds like uh, everybody's hearing me fine yeah, now, right. so I think that's been working. There is a question here, uh, if we can go from, uh, from uh, Brother Ray. Uh, he makes a comment and then asks the question that the gathering of all people from all nations, with regard to the gathering of all people from all nations, is there a time frame that says how long this will take?
0: Is there a time frame for the gathering of nations? Correct. Yes. Gathering is, Israel is from is there all nations. I think it's for sure that. Yeah, I'm not aware of any time frame. Are you, uh, Murray?
1: Nothing comes to mind. Um, nothing comes to mind that says it will take a certain amount of time that it will be done. Um, we can uh, make note of that and, and have a quick look in case uh, we come across it during our studies this week.
0: Yeah, I think there's just there's really a sequence, but not a duration that I can think of. And I saw a comment from Charlotte earlier saying, I can't see it anymore, but it said earlier that she wasn't quite understanding the church and the mystery. And I see Christy is asking if she's new to this because it can be a bit overwhelming at first. But I I think if you understand the Holy Day sequence, God's plan in the Holy Days, where it all begins with the Passover, which is Christ, then the days of unleavened bread, where we were shown to live an unleavened life. And that's leading up to us being part of the first fruits And the first fruits pentecost being connected to unleavened bread through the wave sheaf offering the wave sheaf being the true first fruits the pentecost being a kind of first fruits and attached to christ and and that mystery then in terms of the old testament prophecies where is the church we're in christ and we're doing the work of christ uh, to help with the fall harvest so we're recruited early to help with the fall harvest which when christ returns on trumpets then We are born into the kingdom of God and we continue to help Him with His mission of putting the earth right and gathering His people, putting down the the enemy nations, ruling the enemy nations with a rod of iron because they are so rebellious and they are so resentful of what God is doing. So they have to be put in place. Then there's the atonement. And many people don't understand the difference between atonement and Passover, where Passover is about a personal Repentance with Christ and a personal accepting of Christ as our Savior, but atonement is a national uh, repentance, and atonement is where the whole nation would wait for the high priest to come out to see if the nation's sins would be forgiven, and so that atonement, where in the past I think we've skipped over Israel, and we said, "Oh, God will be at one with the world." Well, atonement is about being at one with His people, and the reconciliation of Israel and the acceptance of Israel back as a nation before God so that we can then go into the millennium where the nations can come to the nation of Israel and worship with the kingdom of priests and then then we have the second resurrection when the rest of Israel Ezekiel 37 the rest of Israel will be resurrected along with the rest of mankind but Israel again still set aside as this special covenant nation and then finally Uh, we have the last uh, the the last judgment and uh, then who's in is in who's going to live forever is going to live forever Uh, but those who are destroyed are to be then destroyed and then even when you read revelation 21 and 22 where now we're dealing with eternal life now we see the tree of life we see the new jerusalem it's still very clear that there's a distinction between the nation of israel and the nations. And Israel is inside the New Jerusalem. And the nations come to Jerusalem with their offerings. The nations that are saved, John writes. These nations have achieved salvation. But they're still considered the nations. And they're coming to the New Jerusalem with their offerings. And they're able to come in and out. But Israel is in the New Jerusalem. So this is a a great mystery. Uh, But in the end, the first fruits harvest and the fall harvest come all together as one in the New Jerusalem. And the first fruits harvest is recruited to help Christ carry out his mission of redeeming the fall harvest. And again, this is something that just comes over time.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And um, it's fascinating how, um, as we peel the onion back on this and dig into it a little deeper, some of the gaps that um, were there in our, and our understanding of the Holy Days um, just become more clear.
0: Yes, and that's the the key is the Holy Days, because that lays down the fundamental framework. In um, Facebook here, uh, Murray, I see a question from Christy about explaining the 45-day difference uh, in Daniel 12, 11 to 12. So that's a bigger question. Let's let's table that for next week. Uh, Pastor Murray, if you're comfortable with that. We can, sure, we can. There's this 45-day uh, gap between the two days that are mentioned in, uh, in Daniel 12. So it's a great question. We can touch on that next week.
1: There is uh, one here from uh, Sister Mary. It's a great question, actually, uh, in its regard to the prophecy in Jeremiah 31, um, which, as you know, as, and as, you've, as you've rightly stated, has always been uh, referred to as the church. Uh, but uh, An obvious but very good question from Sister Mary comes with that. Uh, When we say that we are now under the new covenant as the church and as the the first fruits, are we speaking out of turn or out of error since Jeremiah 31 is specifically talking about uh, later on with with Israel and Judah coming into the
0: new covenant? Great question. Do you want me to comment on that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so not at all, not at all, because the church is a mystery. And this whole notion of the first fruits being called out of season or or ahead of season uh, is a mystery. But, but it is exactly the new covenant, that Christ died, established the new covenant with those Jews that were, were uh, set aside, that were separated from the rest of the Jews. The rest of the Jews, he spoke to them in parables, but the, the, those Jews that were to begin the foundation of the church, he told them plainly what was going on. And he told them, this is the new covenant. This, this blood represents the new covenant. And so, yes, we are a foretaste of Jeremiah 31. But it's very clear when we read Jeremiah 31 in context, this has to do with the, the fall harvest and the establishment, the atonement of the whole nation. But then God is doing something early, which is a mystery. And we, 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 we would never understand it just by reading the Old Testament prophets. It's only by reading the teachings in the New Testaments and by Christ himself That we understand that way. We we are a foretaste of this new covenant relationship that God is going to have with Israel. And we have the Holy, the same way today, we're in the church age and we have the Holy Spirit and we can teach the word of God. In the same way, the people of Israel in in the millennium will have the Holy Spirit and will be doing to the nations what we're doing now we're studying the scriptures we're understanding it. we're preaching the gospel we're teaching the nations will be coming to them they will have the holy spirit and they'll be doing this and loving god with all their heart because of the the holy spirit that they have we're a foretaste of what's going to happen in the millennium
1: yeah completely agree and uh i think it's fascinating that you pulled uh ephesians 3 uh, verses 8 9 10 and 11 out uh, we've always gone to uh and sister Mary thanks uh, us for the answer um uh, that we you pulled out ephesians three verses 8 to 10 uh, we've always gone to ephesians 5 and talked about how this is the mystery of Christ in the church but it's fascinating that Paul answers our questions about where do we find this in the you know, where do we find this teaching in the in the torah and he says you won't if you're right. if you're simply looking for the church i thought that was a that was a, a fascinating that Paul was
0: able to answer our questions before we ask them yeah and, and um, paul has this tremendous grasp of all the old testament scriptures and he says that it's going to be known by the church and it was an, it's an eternal purpose from the very beginning but it's a mystery and it's hidden
1: which really adds as uh, meaning to why he was so specific about how much he was a Pharisee, how much he knew the law and knew the old testament um it really helped him uh once christ Remove the scales from his eyes to yes. really see. Exactly. Uh, one just follow-up question uh, from our uh, brother Rick. It refers to the passage in First Corinthians eleven. That isn't the New Covenant mentioned in First Corinthians eleven, verse twenty-five. And of course, it is. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, this is our the the, the first fruits. Our um, injection into the New Covenant uh, to become first fruits to help Christ uh, fulfill exactly. the. His promises to Israel, and of course, this was just the the transition from the old covenant symbols of the Passover to the new covenant symbols of the Passover that exactly right.
0: after his death. Right on. Yeah, it's just uh, to me as I'm studying these scriptures, uh, Pastor Murray. Just how profound it is to be in this first fruits calling. It's it's just blowing my mind that rather than, you know, there's this initial focus of we're everything it's the church and that's it and god has forgotten israel now as i'm seeing that god has not forgotten israel and his whole eternal purpose is around israel that it is actually making my understanding of our role as first fruits it's even more profound and and how much more grateful i am that i'm in this we're in this first fruits calling that this plan of god is mind-blowing
1: and in, in understanding how grateful we should be, also uh, then taking that a step further to understand uh, the requirements upon us to uh, to work for Christ. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Just, yeah, there's so, so we said it, but I don't know that we, that uh, I, at least for me personally, I don't know that I really understood it uh, until we, we dig a little deeper. Uh, you know, the, the old concept about those who believe are going to heaven and that we're just gonna sit around our clouds playing harps all day um, that that won't be the case in, in uh, as first roots in, in the kingdom and in the millennium. There'll, there'll be a lot of work to do as evidenced by, you know, Revelation 19, 20, 21.
0: Exactly right. And I think, uh, Pastor Murray, that notion of going to heaven and sitting on clouds and playing harps, there's a bit of that that creeps into our understanding of the millennium where, oh, we're going to be kings and priests and we're just going to be there there with God. And, and, and there, there isn't this sense of, we are called to work. And so we need to be about our Father's business now. And, and there's gonna be greater work that we're gonna do in the millennium. I think it's gonna be mind-blowing what we're gonna be doing. But there is going to be this nation of priests, of Levites on the earth, that people are gonna to come to, these physical human beings called Israel, that we're going to be overseeing. And I think if we understand just how profound this calling is, we're gonna be about our Father's business we're going to be unified, we're going to be just courageous, and we're going to preach the truth without apology. For sure.
1: yeah. yeah, Absolutely. And again, uh, so many other scriptures come to mind that, that we've read and, and, and understood in part over the years. You know, those who are faithful in the middle will, be, I will uh, not be faithful in much. It, it's, it's so obvious how much work there will be to do for absolutely. the first group.
0: Willow Love here says, God is choosing the foolish of the world to confound the wise. Uh, absolutely right, 100%. That uh, even even uh, he's going to confound the Jews themselves the Judah themselves, that they're going to be confounded when they see what God has done in us and the understanding that he's given to us. And when we come to them telling them, your God reigns, don't be afraid. This is what God is doing. It's going to be amazing. I absolutely
1: will.
0: So we should probably uh, end it here, just see a little bit past 9 o'clock. Yep. And then um, let's take away that one question from Christy regarding the 45 difference in Daniel Daniel 12. Sure, absolutely. Appreciate uh, you so much, uh, Pastor Murray. Looking forward to seeing you on Sabbath. And, and you uh, as well. Thank you,
1: Pastor Andrew.
0: Yeah, and everyone, thank you for joining us. Uh, this Word of God, let's dig into it. Let's be like Jacob, our our, our spiritual father who struggled with God all night and would not let go until he received the blessing. Let's struggle with the scriptures until we receive the blessing. Uh, Our God is a mighty God. The world has gone crazy, but this is all part of the plan of God. The wicked will not understand, but the wise will understand. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus Christ is Lord.